the voice of voices. Hello, Penny. Hi, Des. How are you? I'm very good on yourself. I'm well, thank you. We're back again for another episode of the voice of voices. Oh, the voice of voices. And I think you'll agree with me that it does feel like every month we're getting better and better. It does. I think we're just getting into a groove, and so many more people are just willing to talk to us, which is so good. That's that's exactly right. And we're going to start out. I think this episode with a shout out to everybody. If you want to chat to us mm-hmm. if you've got anything to talk about please voices at workforce.co.za yes we really want to hear from you and we're always so excited to hear your stories yes our next episode of the voice of voices will focus on youth day mm-hmm. if we got any youths out there any of our colleagues that want to share their journey as a youth mm-hmm. in our country want to chat about it that's a topic that we're very very interested in yes. for next month we want to hear your voice young people just hit us up and let's chat so Penny, on the 31st of May, mm-hmm. I know that you're aware of this, I'm not sure how many other people are, it's World No Tobacco Day. Mm-hmm. So we thought that we'd better chat to somebody, somebody in healthcare, somebody who knows what the deal is with not only tobacco, but addiction, Yeah, which is a very, very big subject. It's a very serious subject, and I mean, so many people, especially with tobacco, so many people smoke and we often don't view smoking cigarettes as an addiction. It is. It, is. it totally is. is. So we, I chatted to Dr. Reba. Would you like to hear what we... Yes, I'd love to. Let's go. So the World Health Organization has declared the 31st of May as World No Tobacco Day, which was established 34 years ago. And the whole aim was to draw global attention to the tobacco epidemic. That's right. The World Health Organization uses the word epidemic. And the preventable deaths and diseases that it causes. We're all well aware of the dangers of smoking, so we're not going to draw a dwell on that for too long, but rather we want to consider all addictions and what impact they have on our lives and the health of the world. So, to better unpack this, I have invited Dr. Reva Moshinyane from Healthcare, and we're going to speak all about that right now. So, thank you for joining us again, Dr. Reva. Thank you, Daisy, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You really are becoming a regular on the podcast, and we greatly appreciate <laughs> your time. We do love having you. So, getting into it, Dr. Reva, we all know smokers. I think most of us are parents were in that generation where everybody just smoked. And so, can you just help us understand why is quitting something like cigarettes? so difficult even though people know that they are bad for you all right so it i mean it is not easy nor is it impossible to quit um dizzy um cigarette um the thing is it contains tobacco and tobacco is the bad substance but it has what we call nicotine in it which is the addictive substance um, that people become addicted to when they're using tobacco so this nicotine is absorbed uh, into the blood through the lungs when you're smoking and it goes into to your brain uh, it stimulates the dopamine in the brain which then influences your your mood your motivation your focus and feelings of reward so it's what you call the dopamine is a feel-good neurotransmitter in the brain so with every puff that you take of the cigarette smoking, uh, you stimulate the feel-good pathway and it starts to wear off within a few minutes of stopping the smoking. So obviously you'll then start feeling irritable and edgy uh, once that good feeling uh, is now gone. So you'd obviously want to go back again and take a puff and the cycle continues because you keep taking a puff so that you can stimulate the feel-good pathway in your brain. 
So this leads you to lighting up the cigarette again and it's going to stop the horrible feeling of irritability and edginess and the cycle continues. So the body then adapts to the nicotine and a certain nicotine level is reached in your, in your body. So the smoker then needs to keep up with the number of cigarettes that they smoke uh, in order to keep the level of nicotine within a comfortable range to avoid getting withdrawal symptoms. And that's how the addiction cycle works. You were saying like the, the dopamine hit can last a few minutes after a cigarette. Yes. So that's a very not, short return on your investment. So, it is. <laughs> so that dopamine you're talking about, that's the same dopamine high, like they call it like, you know, exercising and hugging somebody you love. Yes. That kind of. It's a good feel good pathway. But you can buy this one in a cigarette. Yeah. This one is in cigarette and it's a problem. It's, a, it's an addictive one. We all know the dangers of smoking to the smoker, but can you elaborate on what it can do to the people around you, the people you live with? Mm. So cigarettes do not only contain tobacco right, which I said has the nicotine, but cigarettes have other chemicals. So it has over 4,000 chemicals in it, and these chemicals are really bad because it's things like ammonia, which you'd use in a toilet cleaner, um, acetone, which you'd use in a nail polish uh, remover, it's got benzene, which is a paint stripper, it's got arsenic, which can be rat poison, naphthalene, which is mothballs. Most of these chemicals are also associated with the cancers. If you're smoking, it's not only going to affect you. The people near you are exposed uh, to the smoke as well, which has all these chemicals. So the passive smoking is a second-hand smoking and there's a third-hand smoking as well. But the second-hand smoking is when you're smoking and someone is, that doesn't smoke is next to you and they inhale all the smoke with. And then the second or the third-hand smoking, sorry, it's rather when you finish smoking and all the, the, the smoke odor is left behind on your clothes and then you go and hug your kids, they're exposed to, to that smoke as well. So with the cigarette smoking, the pers person that is, or your family members and people around you that don't smoke are exposed to lung cancers as well. And they're exposed to other kind of cancers. Uh, they're exposed to other problems such as TB. And it's also said to also increase the, the predisposition of um, type 2 diabetes. So you're not smoking, but you're getting all the bad health effects. In children, they will get recurrent respiratory tract infections. So they'll get a lot of ear infections, lung infections, pneumonia, bronchitis. And uh, children are also predisposed to asthma as well. And then there's also what you call sudden infant death syndrome. When it happens to, to to, to babies and you know and babies go to sleep and, and never wake up they also it's also associated with the with the passive smoking or the secondary smoking and then uh, smoking while pregnant uh, also has its own effects uh, leads to increased risk of miscarriages stillbirths preterm births and and low birth weight babies as well uh, Dr. Reba, could you share some of the other addictions that the healthcare system in South Africa really has to deal with? Uh, Daisy, there's a lot of addictions. And I think with the, if I'm going to break down the tobacco, the, the, the cigarette, cigarette is not the only form of tobacco. So I just want to also talk about the people that think they're also not at risk, but they're also using tobacco. Snuff, that's uh, tobacco. Yeah. So snuffing um, and uh, putting it in the mouth as well as chewing the, the nicotine. I mean the tobacco, sorry. It also leads to, to lots of uh, cancers uh, in the mouth, mm. uh, in the nose, in the sinuses. So people also need to be aware of that. Common thing with the addictive substances that they have chemicals that change how your mood and your body behaves. And they also give you a 
pleasurable high that eases your stress and helps you to avoid problems. So we have uh, the legalized substances, so it would be like your alcohol, your dacha, um, the over-the-counter medications, so things like cough mixture, Grandpa. Um, yes, um, other medications which have your codeine, your morphine, uh, that are prescribed sleeping tablets, they're very addictive as well. Um, illegal ones would be your heroin, your cocaine, mandrax, uh, methamphetamines, which is your dick. All of those are uh, highly addictive substances. So these uh, present frequently into the, the trauma department. You know, you have a lot of alcohol-related injuries, and that's why there was all of that, the lockdowns, yes. uh, so that we can try and reduce the number of people that go to our traumas and go into the hospitals. It's, it's not only the healthcare system that, that is, is, is affected here, but, I mean, many families are affected, many families are broken down because of these substance abuses and addictions. I have a friend who's a doctor in Cape Town and she said when they banned when they stopped alcohol shit it was wonderful because they you know the the casualty unit mm. was quiet you they could focus on covid but they had a lot of the addicts the the alcoholics that had mm. withdrawal symptoms coming mm. in and one man came in because he was so desperate for alcohol that he drank a liter of vanilla essence <laughs> And he was very ill, but she said he made casualty smell really, really nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> um, so, as that story demonstrates, why is telling an addict to just quit not helpful and not a realistic thing? Yeah. So, Daisy, as I explained, the, the process of addiction, it involves neurochemicals in your brain. Um, so it's a complex process and telling someone to just stop is not going to help at all. So it's a process, but I mean, it can be done. You know, people can stop. So if you just keep telling them to quit and just quit, um, then it will just frustrate them and they'll probably get stressed out and want to go and get more and, and smoke more, get more of the, the substances in order to, to, to relieve the stress because you're causing a lot of stress by just nagging and nagging yeah, yeah. And not understanding exactly so with with the with the drug addiction uh, the person needs to be ready and wanting to quit mm -hmm. in order for them to successfully quit um, so what you can do to assist the process is to help them think about why they should quit and not just tell them to just quit because it's never going to happen. So you can provide them with uh, information and education uh, about about the smoking and all the, the drugs and addiction and making them uh, recognize the harm that the addiction has created in their families and uh, at some point, um, they might all of this may trigger uh, a behavior change for them to want to to change and 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 quit. Maybe so, not straight away, but at yes, some point. at some point. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it has to start somewhere. So you are there to provide the information and help them realize the behavior change, and for them to get to that point, uh, at least you would have played your part to. To, to get them to think about it and then once they've thought about it and realize the need for it then they will from them yeah they will be the ones that yeah. that then take on that process but yeah like i said for the process of, of quitting to be successful the individual with the addiction should want to quit and as some smokers have successfully quit without any intervention because of the willpower uh, because it's a brain thing it's a mind thing you need to be very strong in the mind control you, also, mind. you yeah. also need a lot of social family support uh, you can't do it alone so then dr reba what 
should the loved one of an addict, somebody, whether it be alcohol, cigarettes, or something harder, what should they understand about their spouse or friend or parent's addiction? Okay. So the loved ones need to understand that the individual is having a disease, in inverted commas. Um, disease. Yes. Um, that they are behaving that way because of the substance. It's not because of their own wanting to behave that way. Um, it's very important to also drive the message that will emphasize that people should not start using the addictive substance because they will not only ruin their own health and lives, but they're also going to ruin the lives of their loved ones because of the process of quitting is, is not an easy process. So what are some of the methods that are used for treating addiction? So for many addictions, the first step is recognizing that you need help. Okay. Um, so family and social support is also very important at this stage once someone has realized that they need help. There are rehabilitation centers, um, so they have a lot of programs in place to help with withdrawal symptoms that you'll be getting with behavior change and coping mechanisms as well when you get out of the rehab center and to also put you back into society. And there's also support groups such as AA, Alcoholic Anonymous. Um, and for cigarette smoking in particular, uh, when we start the process or you, uh, someone has reached the point where they want to quit, we always advise that the individual needs to get set a quit date. And then what we do is that uh, we usually would, would do the nicotine replacement therapy because of the tobacco, like I said, it's got nicotine, the cigarettes have the nicotine, which is what makes you happy. In this uh, time when someone has realized that they need to stop quitting, then we'll give the nicotine replacement therapy in a form of a patch uh, together with a gum or a spray so that at least you have some nicotine in your system um, so that you still have that feel-good pathway that is stimulated so you don't feel irritable and edgy but we've now uh, removed the tobacco which has all the harmful effects. Yes, yes. Um, so but then that's going to be like a short term, the nicotine yeah. replacement therapy. So it's like a about, soft, like a soft yes, stop. to get you yeah. out of it, yeah. yeah. For about 12 weeks, um, okay. that's how long we'd normally use it. And you can also go visit your doctor and there's um, medication that the doctor can prescribe for you to help you with the quitting uh, of the cigarette smoke. So we have what you call the bupropion, which is called known as Zyban. And there's also uh, Veronicline, which is known as uh, Champix. And these tablets are they got their own side effect profile, but I mean, you can discuss it with the doctor. And they also assist very, very much in helping you um, to stop quitting. To um, slowly come off yes, safely. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a mind thing as well. So you need to, to distract yourself when, the, when you're craving cigarettes. And support from family, friends and colleagues as well um, is very important to help you successfully quit cigarette smoking. Because, I mean, you can't have, be around people that will be waving cigarettes around you during this time. So, it's too difficult, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it would be great if you have a buddy to do it with. But, I mean, if there isn't, then, you know, the family needs to understand that I can't be smoking in front of him yes. or, or her because, you know, they're in the process of quitting yeah. and, and give you that support and moral support. And I suppose, like you said, you know, that dopamine hit, that's, that's a big part of it, but also just breaking a habit, breaking a habit of taking a smoke break and going outside with your friends. And yeah. That, just breaking that as well. That habit, so exactly. It's hard. It is hard, yeah. So, yeah, since it's World No Tobacco Month, I would like to say quitting tobacco is the best thing you can do for your health and the health of those around you. Tobacco actually affects every part of your body. Being free from tobacco is choosing life 
health and happiness. So although it is a challenge, many people have quit worldwide and so can you. Um, so, but seriously, the, the moment you stop smoking, uh, the beneficial health changes take place within 20 minutes. So you already start feeling... That quick? Yeah, but wow. I mean in terms of your heart rate, it already starts slowing really down. Starts and then so anything us, else then, yeah. yeah takes its time. But I mean, you need to make a choice today and get or and free yourself uh, from tobacco. That was quite informative. I hope everyone who has quit or is thinking of quitting or somebody who's like maybe down the road at quit was listening to that very important chat. Mm. Thank you very much, Dr. Reeve. It's always a pleasure having you on our podcast. I know next month um, I'll be chatting to Navanya Naidu from Healthcare and mm -hmm. we're going to speak about mental health. So we can look forward to that. Yes, next that's also just going to be very informative. I can't wait for that one. We always enjoy hearing from our colleagues at, health, at Workforce Healthcare. Thank you, guys. Yes. Next up, we are going to be hearing from a new mom who's going to be telling us all about how it felt giving birth and having her first child during a pandemic. So, Penny, I want to ask you about this because when we chatted about what we want to talk about in this podcast, you were the one who pitched the idea of interviewing mm -hmm. a new parent in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Why? Why did that interest you? What made you think of it? Because I was just thinking... Everybody has had challenges with the pandemic, right? And then now giving birth and giving, like having new life in the world. And also for dads, like being a parent for the first time is already a nerve-wracking thing. Now doing it during a pandemic just seemed like we would get some very interesting stories. Oh, well done, then we have. Here we go. My name is Samgedi Siwe Masuku. I work for Workforce Healthcare. I'm an order in Clark Bay. Welcome, welcome, Samgeli Siwe, to the podcast. So, Samgeli and I are going to be talking about the joys and the hardships of having uh, and becoming a new parent during the pandemic. So, Samo. <laughs> When I was thinking about this, I was like, I can't even imagine the anxiety you must be feeling when you're carrying a baby and there's COVID and all of those things. <laughs> so the first thing we wanted to find out from you was, how was your delivery experience? Oh, my delivery experience was bad, but good. Mm -hmm. um, the bad side being under the, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But the, the best, it was the best, best, best moments of my life. I'm grateful to God that everything went well. Well, yes. Yeah. And you have a healthy, bouncing baby boy. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, were you comfortable giving birth during a, uh, a pandemic? I wasn't comfortable at, at all because mm. our watch was... A bit packed, but so the, the the doctors tried to induce a lot of us as possible so that we can just leave the 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 hospital as soon as possible. So it wasn't an easy process, but I mm. just I'm just grateful that at the end everything came out perfectly. And we allowed to bring um your partner or loved ones into the delivery room. Unfortunately and sadly, no. I would have loved my partner to be there, but mm. um because of COVID, mm. they said that no partners are allowed, no family members. Mm. So I was alone. There. It's just you, so, but like in the hospital, then yes. they must just drop you off and leave. And leave. Wow, that is hectic. Actually, I went there for my monthly checkups. Yeah. So I wasn't even aware that 
they're gonna induce me the same day yeah so i left all my things there my hospital bags at home and everything so i had to call my mom to Mm. come and deliver the hospital bag at the hospital and then leave and then leave me there I'm so scared. I didn't know how, what to expect, mm. as my boy was the first, uh, my first Child. baby. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I can't even imagine. But I'm glad everything went smoothly. Mm. And were people just like nice? Did they understand that you guys were possibly nervous? Because, yes, mm. yo, they took care of us. Um, but you know, pregnant ladies mm. eat a lot, so yeah. the, food, the food is so little. Oh, and unfortunately, they, they couldn't even come and mm. bring you food at the hospital. Yeah. It was so bad. Mm. Um, you, you were only allowed to eat what they offered. If yeah. you don't like that, then you'll be hungry. Yeah, you'll be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say were the pros and cons of navigating just being a new parent in the pandemic? Because we are still mm. in the pandemic. Uh, it is so tough because I can't allow other extended families mm. and friends to come and mm. and see the baby because I myself I'm still very uncomfortable. Mm. It's better than last year. Yeah, I'm trying to you know um, ease up mm. so that um, some people can 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 see the baby, baby because yeah. you know most um, they they do want to to see the baby and mm. make sure that the baby is fine and yes. all that. So I am trying by all means. Um, being a, a first-time mommy, yeah. it's it's no child's play. Isn't it? It's not child's play. But at the end of the day, it's 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 just happy moments more mm. than sad. And just moments. being careful and making sure that the baby is safe. Mm-hmm. Do you have support though? Do you have, have like your mom with you? I do. The whole family is mm. always there, making sure that the baby is fine. And I've mm. got my crazy grandmother. <laughs> I call her the crazy grandma. <laughs> she makes sure that the baby has medication, even mm. for things that. He like even medication that he doesn't need, but it must it's be there, there just yes. for in case, you know. <laughs> so I've got a very strong support um, mm. in my family side, and as well as the the baby's yeah. daddy's family side. Yeah. They're very supportive. That's good. And they love the baby so much. And how has your transition been? Like coming back to work and still navigating new motherhood. Mm. How's the balance? Mm. Are you are you are you coping? Are you surviving? Oh. I from the from the sleepless nights mm. and to waking up in the early in the morning preparing for work it, it has been tough because the little one can sense when I'm, mm. I'm up and he wants to be up be as up well. as well so there's no one in the early, in the early hours of the morning there's mm. no one that I can take the baby to for yes. him to look after the baby mm. and literally sometimes when he wakes up when I need to go take a bath mm. I put him in his car seat and then go with him to the bathroom just oh, to wow. get my, myself prepared for mm. work so it has been a roller coaster yeah but i i trust that as he grows yes everything is gonna be better thank you very much penny that was a very interesting chat between you and samuel and it actually reminds me of a story of a friend of mine who gave birth during the pandemic mm. she was in the middle of labor and the hospital wouldn't admit her until she had a final covid negative test what so she crawled into the the clinic the testing facility on her hands and knees because she was in labor and the the nurses had to get down on the floor and swab her on the floor and help her back to her car Okay, wait. So what if it was positive? Like, what's the plan? If the baby positive, has to come out. But baby's going to come out. If it was positive, she had to go to the COVID not safe. Like, oh, the, the, they okay. call it the red zone of the oh, hospital. okay. If it was negative, she could go to the green zone and it was oh, less hectic. That is scary. 
So, next, you again spoke to one of my favorite people at head office, the lovely Lakeisha. Mm. Lakeisha always has, I find, very interesting and very down-to-earth yes. views on, mm-hmm. on rights and freedoms of everybody yes. in the country. Yes, yes. What was the angle for this conversation? We were just piggybacking off of Human Rights Day, which just passed last month. And I was just having a chat with her regarding the LGBTQ community. Brilliant. Let's go for it. Kisha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Penny. Happy to be here. Yay! <laughs> Please tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, so I am an employee for the Workforce Group. I am working in the staffing and outsourcing cluster. I identify as a gay woman. I know most people would prefer maybe lesbian woman, but mm-hmm. I just prefer the wording gay. So I go as gay woman. So we're going to be having a conversation, Lakisha and I, regarding LGBTQI plus and freedoms in South Africa. My first question to you is, what is in your opinion are some of the most urgent challenges facing the community right now? Okay, so I would say definitely stigma and social isolation, um, you know, specifically relating to cultural issues Mm -hmm. in South Africa. Obviously, we've got a diverse cultural kind of demographic in in this country, but that obviously comes with a lot of generational patterns and Mm -hmm. and, um, information and knowledge that has been passed down through generations that might not necessarily be accurate. And I think that this actually um, taints people's perspectives of the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, for example, don't understand what that abbreviation even means, mm-hmm. or they don't understand certain aspects of it. So for example, transgender mm-hmm. isn't something that is understood by anyone. They, mm-hmm. they might not know what that actually means. And then that leads to people developing misconceptions about mm-hmm. these people. For example, oh, they might be predators trying to get into um, women's spaces so that they can attack them, which mm-hmm. is... Got absolutely nothing to do with nothing whatsoever. Um, yes, but now it limits the types of freedoms mm. that these people have access to because mm. of these misconceptions that mm-hmm. all stem from these cultural issues. So I think that's a major thing, and it leads to a lot of fear, which mm-hmm. therefore leads to discrimination as well as other criminal activities like mm-hmm. murder of, mm-hmm. of gay people, stoning of gay people, mm-hmm. um, corrective rape as well. Um, things like that, which is quite rife, especially in uh, the South African context, mm-hmm. and I think it stems from that. So would you say that you faced some of those challenges personally, in whether it's your coming out story or just living as a gay woman? So I haven't obviously faced some of the more severe ones, mm-hmm. um, but I have as a woman. Obviously as a woman I've faced a quite, a, quite a few things. But as a gay woman, I must say I have faced some social isolation, mm-hmm. um, difficulties, you know, family difficulties where mm-hmm. family members don't understand or they don't agree with it or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And I have also, in fact, um, experienced a little bit of workplace discrimination as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that also comes from a lack of understanding mm-hmm. rather than than an overt kind mm. of homophobia type yes. of thing. It's more just a lack of understanding. Mm. Um, yeah, so I have faced some of those issues, but uh, but not not to the extent that others in the country mm. are experiencing it. In the workplace, because I'm sitting with mm. you right now, and I guess you don't present in the stereotypical um, white people who are have really little information on what gay looks like or mm. have rather, to correct myself, have an idea that there is a, this is how gay looks. Mm. 
have you found any difficulties presenting as a very femme um, gay person that people sort of yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, as you say, there's an idea of what a heterosexual woman looks like mm. versus a gay woman. Mm. Um, and I obviously present more feminine or very, very feminine. And so most people would assume that I'm heterosexual. Mm -hmm. So what, whenever they might find out that I'm not, it's usually quite a shock. And you get a lot of mostly males mm -hmm. who think that they can convert you mm -hmm. or they think that you're lying or they think that you haven't found the right guy yet or, you know, all that kind of all stuff. All those microaggressions. Yeah, those, exactly. And mm -hmm. it's, it's really frustrating because no one will question a heterosexual relationship. Yes. No one will say anything about, mm. oh, are you sure you want to be with this person? Mm. Or have you thought this through? Mm. Um, how do you know you're actually straight? Nobody mm. says that. Yes, <laughs> we don't even um, question what straightness looks like. Exactly. Mm. And it's also um, difficult to uh, live openly mm -hmm. as, as a gay woman because face a lot of harassment because now I mean women in general face a lot mm -hmm. of harassment now there's two women and generally mm -hmm. when there's a, a guy in the mm -hmm. mix other men will respect mm -hmm. that guy mm -hmm. and just kind of leave you alone so if I have to go out with my partner who mm -hmm. would maybe be a feminine woman mm -hmm. um, and be sitting at a bar or whatever we'll get harassed by mm -hmm. a lot of guys <laughs> and that wouldn't happen if, if I was um, yeah. if I was in a heterosexual sure, relationship. relationship yeah so South Africa is regarded as one of the most progressive nations when it comes to the LGBTQI plus um, rights. Do you feel that the, the constitution and how it is perceived and the lived experiences of the community are aligned? Um, absolutely not. I don't, I, th I think it's amazing that we have the constitution that we have and that mm. we've had it for so many years but I think that um, although we have this progressive legislation that's actually aimed at protecting the interests of LGBTQ um, individuals what it actually does is it gives the community a false sense of security when in fact things like rape, uh, corrective rape, mm. murder discrimination, um, all of these things are still very 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 much there and when you look at the legislation you think oh okay I can get I can get married, for example. It's yes. legal. Think about actually trying to get married mm. as a gay person. Um, you'll be judged when you go out to pick out your wedding dress and people mm -hmm. find out that you're in a homosexual relationship. Mm -hmm. You might actually get some uh, venues that are not willing to mm. host your wedding and mm -hmm. their venue because of your um, sexuality. So things like that can also happen, but uh, even besides that, just living, I think living authentically when you are living in a community that mm. doesn't agree with it, whether the law agrees with it or not, isn't really relevant to the lived experience yes. of, of people in the community. Um, you've touched on this a lot, because um, as a woman living in South Africa, I'm very familiar with the anxiety that comes with just being alive and the very real threats that are posed to me for being a woman. The way that I even experience being in an Uber is probably different mm. from men. There are so many things that we sort of live our lives and curate certain experiences to try and protect ourselves, which in reality, there's no real amount of protecting yourself that you can truly do when people want to attack you. What is your opinion on the lived, the added fear I'd imagine of gay women and transgender women who are not only now living and presenting as women but are also not discriminated because of their sexuality as well as their gender identity. So look, as, as you mentioned, just simply being female already mm. puts me at risk for things like harassment and assault. And those are both things that I have already experienced mm. without the gay factor even being yes, there. Because yes. as you mentioned, mm. 
mm. I present as heterosexual anyway. Um, but living openly gay just increases that risk even more because now men will view a gay woman as uh, some type of challenge or mm. they feel like they can make you straight and that's mm. usually where corrective rape comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, but even even besides that, mm. you know, being, being gay just, it kind of just um, brings in that harassment because so many people agree with homophobia that it's very easy for you to be the outcast. Mm. Like how people view straight couples as mm. child abuse because they're mm. not allowing that child to have the opposite gender parent. Mm. Um, but no one has anything against single parents, but they also don't have that representation from the other side. Um, so it's like two loving parents is not as good as mm. you know just a toxic relationship, a heterosexual relationship. Which I'm not saying all heterosexual relationships are toxic, but many um, straight relationships yes. are not uh, are not helpful environments for children, mm. and people automatically jump to just say it's, couple as well. That's child abuse; they shouldn't be allowed to adopt. It's the idea of heterosexuality as normal. Mm. I think that is the the, the only way. That's that's the problem. So we've mentioned a lot of bleak observations of, of, of how we treat the community as South African people. Do you have any hopes as um, a gay person living in South Africa for your experience and for the experience of other people? Yes, so my hope is that, you know, as future generations become more and more progressive as we go along, obviously things are not the way they were. 70 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So we are getting more and more progressive. People at least understand that gay people exist Mm -hmm. and that it's, you know, uh, you know, it's not something that they need to be openly, um, they shouldn't openly discriminate. So Mm -hmm. people do discriminate, but it's not something that they, you know, dance Mm -hmm. around saying that they're homophobic and they're proud of it Mm -hmm. uh, because it has become a little bit more progressive. So I feel that as these generations, um, you know, the new generation start having kids and those kids start growing up in a more progressive society, they Mm -hmm. will feel a lot more comfortable to come out Mm -hmm. as a gay individual um, without the fear that they'll be isolated or disowned from their families or Mm -hmm. murdered by their communities. Mm -hmm. Um, I also hope that, you know, trans, uh, transgender individuals are able to access the support they need. Obviously, Mm -hmm. they need uh, medical support and other, you know, psychological support as Mm -hmm. well. And this is very, very difficult for them to access Mm -hmm. uh, in today's world Mm -hmm. because of that lack of progression. Mm -hmm. So as, you know, that comes, I, I hope that, um, we'll see just more support for individuals mm. rather than um, in terms of legislative things obviously there can always be improvements mm. being made but I must say we have a very progressive yes. constitution so if we can get our society to align with that mm. I mean that would be my ultimate hope for for the future Thank you very much Penny for that chat with Lakeisha, always interesting Now If you were Red Voices, you and I know, and if anybody else Red Voices, they would know that we recently celebrated Nurses Day internationally. And if you go check out Voices, we have some interesting articles and opinions from a lot of our nurses. But on top of that, we thought we'd share something else with you, which is um, some information from our very own Brenda Fanica. Um, and she is a all-med nurse based in the Western Cape. Mm. And we wanted to hear from her what it's like, day in the life, how it goes, mm. what the pandemic's done to everything. And here we go. This is Brenda van Eckerk, And I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak to you today. And especially to send a message out there to all of those in the caring profession I, as I said, am Brenda van Nikke. I'm a professional nurse. 
I started my general nurses training a very long time ago in 1967. I completed in 1970 and I started with midwifery where I delivered 32 babies and completed in 1972. Since then, I decided that I was going to be working in the community as a community health nurse of which 21 years was working for the Department of Health in the community health centers. And during that period, quite a few years was spent as a nursing manager. And then I decided to join the city of Cape Town and worked for them for 21 years. And again, as 20 years as a nursing services manager. I retired at the age of 65 and I stayed home for three years, but clearly retirement was not for me. Being extremely passionate about nursing, I felt that I had so many skills which I could share with the young and developing nurses of today. When the post as clinical facilitator at Ormid was advertised, I applied and I'm very happy that I actually am still with Ormid after my third year now in the post and I can truly say that I am living my best life. I never realized that this is where I needed to be before really retiring. This is a perfect position for me to be in before deciding to finally step down when I'm ready to do so. I'm so passionate about my job and seeing the smiles on the faces of the elderly is so, so rewarding and heartwarming. And once again, I want to thank all med for allowing me the privilege to be able to work with the elder generation. Just with regards to the nursing profession and nurses as a whole, it has taken a pandemic for the world to realize the value of these humble professionals. Nurses need to be valued and recognized as unique individuals who are willing to set aside their own needs to avail themselves for the care and well-being of the sick and the vulnerable. Currently, my job is to visit the elderly in facilities daily and support and train caregivers and professional staff and ensure that the elderly receive the care that they deserve. This gives me so much joy. I'm 71 years and in the nursing profession for 54 years. I actually needed a calculator for that to make sure that I get it right. With regards to this pandemic, we are living in challenging times. It's been tough for everybody. My main role was to motivate staff to continue during these times when many feared for their own lives yet were prepared to make huge sacrifices for the well-being of others. For me, the saddest of all was to see the old people missing and longing their families. And there was a day when I shed a tear when this young granddaughter was holding her hands up against the window, speaking to her grandmother with tears in her eyes. Last but not least, I want to say to all nurses, a very happy Nurses' Day. And the way things are now, it feels to me as if we could be celebrating nurses' year all year long because that is what they deserve. I want to say to the nurses out there, stay true to your calling which is caring with passion at all times. Lots of love, Brenda. That was very informative from Ness. 
Brenda. As we said, she is from OMED and OMED Workforce Healthcare and Nursing Emergencies are all part of our healthcare cluster, which provides solutions for hospital staffing, home-based care, workplace healthcare solutions, and more across all sectors from high-risk compliance to corporate wellness, providing a holistic solution to all of our clients. So mm. shout out to all the nurses in our healthcare cluster. I think also what the COVID pandemic has highlighted is this need for home-based care mm. and how if you are at risk, being able to stay in your own house yes. and own home with help is so important. Yes, and as we see that the country is possibly moving into a third wave, it's important that we just reiterate that we all need to do our part. Um, it's important to keep up all the good work, make sure that you're washing your hands, you're socially distanced, that you're sanitizing, and that you're not going out needlessly, and that you are keeping to sort of your bubble so yep. that we can protect each other. Yep, wear those masks. A little of a story that I think shows is that somebody I know works in a vet practice mm -hmm. where they work on top of each other, on top of each other, and somebody got COVID and they didn't spread it to a single person because they washed hands and wore masks. That's incredible, hey? It is incredible. It just shows that it works. It really does. And it's, it's the simplest thing that each of us can do. Mm. Have a mask on, wash your hands. Sanitize, yeah. Sanitize. I think that's all from us for this episode. It's my favorite episode so far. I'm going to say that every month. <laughs> I really, I know I agree with you. Each and every episode, as long as it's new, it's our favorite. Because yeah. it's the one we just did. And we absolutely <laughs> love creating this podcast for you. So again, we're going to finish off how we started. Get in touch with us, please, guys. Mm. Please, please, please just email us at voices at workforce.co.za we want to hear from you awesome thanks guys bye